Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I tell you things how I think they are. Um, I don't want to be a puppet. I'm not saying anyone's a puppet. Don't take this the wrong way. I want to say things the way, you know, 10-year-old me would say them. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey, guys, how are you doing? So by now you've all seen the little snippets regarding... Uh, the Disney and Lucasfilm deal from way back when, 2012. They were just released recently from Bob Iger's book. Now, this book was written by Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, and I think he's been in control of Disney as the CEO for the last 15 years or so. Now, the snippets were released on the internet um, regarding a lot of different things. Some of the things that pertain to this channel, obviously, are Star Wars. And the main thing that a lot of people are picking up on are the fact that Bob Iger himself said that George Lucas felt betrayed um, with everything that has gone down with the sequel trilogy, at least, you know, once The Force Awakens came out. I went over it in a video, I gave my thoughts, and of course it was something that has been hidden for about eight years, almost now, uh, since 2012. There's a lot more to the story, and while these little snippets were very interesting, they were merely just the tip of the iceberg. So I took it upon myself to actually purchase his book. I bought his entire book, and uh, it's called The Ride of a Lifetime, if you guys want to check it out. He's obviously a very successful businessman. He's the CEO of one of the most powerful companies on the face of the planet. The book goes through a whole bunch of different things regarding his journey. And, you know, just like anyone in any business has a journey, he has his own. And it was parts of it were quite an interesting read. Now, of course, the chapter that interested me most was the Star Wars chapter. And it's simply just titled Star Wars. So I'm going to reiterate and break down and just talk to you guys about what I read, my review of this book, of this chapter uh, in general. And a lot of the things that he has explained are things that we never knew, uh, the thing, things that the public has never known until today. So for those of you who won't read his book, I would like to give my take on it. So here we go. Now, before we begin, I just want to say this isn't a video to defame Bob Iger or anything like that, or, you know, put him in a bad light. I'm merely showing him in the light that he has spoken of himself and of the situations and deals and things that went on with Disney and Star Wars in his own book, in his own biography. So, here we go. Basically, the book starts out, or at, when I say the book, I mean the chapter of Star Wars, because everything else is sort of somewhat irrelevant to this video. So the chapter of Star Wars starts out with something irrelevant to George Lucas. And it's actually quite nice. You, you learn a bit about uh, Bob Iger and Steve Jobs and this and that. So Bob Iger invited Steve Jobs 
uh, over for dinner with his wife and, and, and Bob's wife. And at this point, Steve Jobs had cancer. So he, they were talking, they had a nice time, and long story short, the dinner ended. Fast forward to Steve Jobs' Steve Jobs' funeral. Now, Bob says it was a very small funeral, I think like 40 or 45 people or something like that. And what happened was he eventually gave a speech, a very nice speech, and that was it. Now, at the end of the funeral, Laureen, who was Steve Jobs' wife, came up to Bob and she said, you know, this kind of this little story about how when Steve was alive, <clears throat> could they trust Bob? She asked her husband, can we trust him? And Steve said, I love that guy. And Bob says, the feeling is mutual. And that's how he ended that bit of the chapter. As we continue, we then get on to finally Star Wars itself. Now, of course, before Steve died, Bob says that he went to talk to Steve and Steve asked him, you know, are you interested in any company? And of course, Bob says Lucasfilm is one of them. This is where Steve implored him to go and contact George and said, well, why don't you pitch it to him? He might be interested. So finally in 2011, and in this chapter, he goes back and forth through time a lot. So there's going to be a lot of that. I'm going to make sure you guys are aware of that. Uh, and I'm going to talk about what time everything happens in. So in 2011, um, Star Tours is an attraction at Disneyland. It's very fun. I've experienced it. It's quite cool. And George Lucas was going to basically go there and keep an eye on things or check up on things before they re-released it to the public after doing some renovations and stuff like that on it. So in May of 2011, Star Tours was going to reopen to the public after a year of refurbishing. George Lucas was going to go there as a sort of, you know, just paying respects to the Imagineering team and everything like that. And he figured that this would be the right time to pitch to him, if he could, that he wants to buy Lucasfilm. Now, if you don't know what Star Tours is, it's a very cool ride at Disneyland. It's quite immersive. I've experienced it myself, and it's pretty sweet. Now, as Bob says that he's going to pitch this idea to George to maybe have him consider selling Lucasfilm to him, he now goes back in time to the mid-1980s. Now, in the mid-1980s, there was this show that George wanted to create, and Bob Iger at this point was not the CEO of Disney. He was running ABC. And this was where George pitched to him that he wanted to make this show about young Indiana Jones, the, the Chronicles of Young Indy or something like that. And it's basically where Indiana Jones, as this young man, goes through different points in time, I believe, I never saw the show, and he meets these different great figures in, um, in, in the world. So like Sigmund Freud, Churchill, Degas, and so on and so on. So Bob Iger gives him a very fast yes, and then in 1992, the show actually airs. It's got big numbers, opens great across the world, but then it slowly starts to trickle down because George wanted to make it into a history lesson, and people just weren't really down for that. They got kind of tired of it. Personally, I think the show would have been cool. I never got to see it. I'm going to research this probably after I make this video, but it seems like a cool show. However, the views tanked, and even as a YouTuber, you know that if views tank, you kind of have to change your pitch. You got to do something different, more exciting, better content. You got to work harder. Something has to change in order to change those viewership numbers, right? So with a big studio, it's the same exact thing. You just got a lot of people working for you. So the first season of the show tanked, but George wanted to go ahead and make more. And of course, ABC was like, well, you know, this isn't really working because these numbers aren't performing like they want we want them to so Bob Iger says that all right you know what George is George Lucas and I respect him a lot and I'm going to basically do this for him so he makes season two and of course it tanks and doesn't do well but George is now indebted to him 
and he feels a great deal of um, friendship and connection to Bob for allowing him to make the second season and continue on with the show and the passion that he has for it. So he says in the book that George was very grateful to him for giving him that chance. All right, fast forward to 2011, the opening of Star Tours. Bob closed down a restaurant. Well, actually, he opened a restaurant a little bit early, uh, earlier than it would normally open, just for him, George Lucas's wife, and George Lucas. He sat there. They had a beautiful breakfast, apparently, and that is where he pitched to him that, hey, I kind of want to buy Lucasfilm. Now, the way he did it, I'm not really a fan of because, it, well, check this out. So basically, he's sitting there with George. You finish your, your breakfast or halfway through it or whatever, and he says to him, hey, George, you know what? You're 68 now, um, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. You're 68. What's going to happen to Lucasfilm, you know, once, once you go? You don't really have any heirs to the company, not the ones that really like passionate, that would take care of it. What's going to happen here? You got to think about this stuff. He says, I don't want to be fatalistic, but you know, these are the facts. Now he finishes the pitch with this. He says, shouldn't you determine who protects or carries on your legacy going forwards? George Lucas nodded and he said that he doesn't want to sell. However, he says, you are right. And if I do decide to sell, I'm going to come to you. I remember what you did for me with Indiana Jones by doing that second season when, when the first one pretty much tanked near the end. I remember what you did for me, and if I'm going to go to anyone, I'm going to go to you. Now, here's something that really got me emotional when I was reading it. It's that George looked Bob Iger in the eyes during this breakfast, and it says this like verbatim. He says, I looked at him, he looked at me in the eyes, and he said very seriously, when I die, the first line of my obituary is going to read, Star Wars creator... George Lucas. Now Bob goes on to say that that moment was really something that he remembers, that it was so much a part of who George was, Star Wars is so much a part of who George is, and that this wasn't negotiating to buy a business, it was negotiating to buy a legacy. Now this is the part that really has me interested and you guys are going to understand why. Bob says that he understands this wasn't now, this wasn't the purchase of a business. Because Disney, you know, buys businesses and it, that's how business is. You don't get attached to it. You just see it as a commodity. It either makes you money or it doesn't. He says, this wasn't like buying a business. This was now keeping George's legacy alive. He goes on to say that he had such a respect and affection for George Lucas. So he waited. He didn't contact him for seven months until George reached out to him and said, hey, do you remember that conversation we had in Orlando about seven months ago? Well, let's talk about some stuff. So they met for lunch at Disney Burbank, and well, you can imagine where the conversation led to. So the conversation goes back and forth, and of course, you know, George says that I, I'm thinking about selling it, I'm serious about it, and I'd like to sell it to you. So it was that little seed that I feel like Bob, of course, you know, George was thinking about it a long time, and I blame a lot of the fans that put a lot of hatred on George for the prequels, um, for Jar Jar and this and that, which the prequels I grew up with and I loved them. If it wasn't for all that hate, uh, I don't think George would have sold it. I really don't. And I really think that was a big contributing factor to everything. But anyways, I digress. We can talk about that maybe at the end of the video. They go back and forth on negotiations and Bob says that he understands what Star Wars is. He says that Star Wars mainly caters to young boys who are assembling a lot of Lego Millennium Falcons and playing with lightsabers. He goes on to say that adding this consumer basis would be quite valuable to their assets. Then he goes on to talk about what he would do with the theme parks and this and that, but so much was in the unknown 
that he couldn't really go further with that because it was just in the dark. He goes on to talk about the worst thing you can do when you negotiate is to lead someone on, to make them think, you know, you're all for something and then, uh, you know, take it away once you get the deal. He literally says this on in the Kindle page of 179, uh, I believe it is. He says this, you can go check it out for yourself, that he thinks it's the worst thing. You have to be very clear when you're negotiating that you got to make sure that the person knows exactly what you want and that you're not, you know, tricking them or anything like that because things can get very, very sour very quickly if something like that were to happen. So he says he needs to look closely at Lucasfilm and know their financial data before they can really move forwards on this. Now, Lucasfilm at the time wasn't, or at least ever, wasn't a public trading company. It was a private company. It was George's company. It was his baby. He created this. So Bob pitched to George again that he, you know, he has some guys that will go into the company. They'll go into Lucasfilm without any of the employees knowing really. And they're going to pull some numbers and know everything that goes on in the background and kind of give them a, you know, a, a better idea of what the company is worth. He says, I have a small team that will go in there. We'll keep things really quiet and no one will really be the wiser. Paraphrase. George allowed them the access, but at the end of the process, they still found themselves struggling with what they would do with it. He says a lot of the issue came down to how quickly they could make movies. He goes on to say that it all really came down to how they could make good movies and how fast. He wasn't able to assign anyone to the team because they didn't have anyone. It was all, you know, George's people. So he didn't know where to start. He essentially had nothing. Now, once that sort of cleared, he says the most difficult, pretty much, most difficult part of the negotiation was George's creative power over Star Wars. Where he would lie, you know, what would he be able to do with it? Now, Mr. Iger then makes it very well known that George is a jack of all trades when it comes to, you know, filmmaking. He was a writer, director, everything. And he was the one that was controlling the entire operation. He was the one with the creative control. And he wanted to retain that creative control when he sold Star Wars to Disney. Of course, now I can see, you know, Bob's point of view of uh, on this. Uh, you know, you want to give someone four, you want to basically, hey, here, here's $4 billion, but you can still do whatever you want to do with it, write your stories and release them on whatever timeline you want. Well, then you don't really own the company then, do you? However, when it's something like Star Wars, I feel like there should have been something in the contract that would have allowed George to approve or but but then again you know like even even i'm too emotionally invested in it you know let alone george he must have been having a really hard time with this now he goes on to basically say that regardless of you know how ridiculous it was to basically give someone money and and still think that they can control the company even though when they give it up that's the whole point of you know selling it he goes to say that george felt completely responsible for star wars and how it ended up he says that that was the last thing that he would want to do is to hurt him or make him feel like, you know, we don't want anything to do with him. And the last thing he wanted to do was to insult him. That being said, he goes on to say at the end of the page that he couldn't spend the money, you know, give George the money and also let him do what he wanted to do. To me, I don't know why. I don't know why he wouldn't just buy Star Wars from George, you know, accept the deal and then make George as the writer and the director and pay him as a, you know, as the, the fee is being the writer and the director, just like what he paid JJ to do. I don't understand that, but I don't run, I don't, I'm not the CEO of Disney. So who am I? So they, of course, go back and forth. And George actually initially wanted about over $7 billion for Star Wars, which I think is absolutely well worth it. Uh, I think he kind of sold Star Wars for not enough money, but he did get a massive, massive chunk of Disney stock. So 
hey, I think he's winning. The next few pages just basically go on about how difficult it was for George to grasp the concept of selling Star Wars and not having any creative control over the story. And it seems to be that was the main issue with the contract. It wasn't really the money at the end of the day because that came to kind of a, a quick resolution. But it was George not being able to let go of the thing that he's built, you know, pretty much his whole life. So George said that he couldn't just hand over his legacy. And Disney, you know, Bob Iger said that we couldn't, you know, give you the money and then let you control it. So in the negotiations, they walked away twice. The first time Bob Iger walked away, Disney walked away from it. The second time in the negotiation, George walked away. Now, at some point in the process of this negotiating, he does not make it clear when exactly it was George had phoned him up or contacted him and said, hey, I wrote three outlined scripts, three outlines for the sequel trilogy for you guys. Here you go. I'm going to send you a copy. I'm going to send a copy to Alan Braverman and one for Alan Horn. He then goes on to say that I read George's outlines and I decided to buy them. Though we made it clear in the contractual agreement in the contract that we weren't obliged to use them. Then there was an upcoming change in capital gains laws, which means that if George didn't sell within the point, the period of 2012, he would have lost $500 million. So if he was going to sell, there was some financial urgency to sell it pretty quick. George was clear on the fact that Bob stood firm on him not having any creative control, but it was a very hard thing for him to accept. And so he reluctantly agreed to be the basically person that they would call upon if they felt like they needed some creative... Um, it's magic. At their request, might I say, at their request. Bob says here that he promised he would be open to the ideas of George Lucas, which really doesn't mean anything. I'm, I promise I'll be open to your... Hey, I promise I'll be open to your comments, but I don't really care. I don't have to take them into consideration. It doesn't matter to me. That's what I take. That's my opinion and what I take out of this. So on October 30th, 2012, one day before my favorite day of all time, Halloween... Uh, George came to his office and they signed the deal and that was that. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The deal is done, but a few months before that, before it's completed, George hired Kathleen Kennedy to be the president of Lucasfilm. Bob Iger thought this was very sudden. He didn't expect it. Um, and Kathleen didn't even know herself, apparently. So, you know, that's what he writes here, that she didn't know it was going to be, she was going to be, you know, leading a company that was going to be sold. And Bob didn't know that, you know, that she was going to be the one that he appointed to be the president of Lucasfilm, and that if he bought Lucasfilm, then she would remain to be the president, I, I, I assume. Now, he says that Kathleen was someone that George hired at the last minute to take over Lucasfilm uh, with the sale, with the purchase of the sale by Disney, because he trusted her and felt, you know, that just a little more comfortable if she were in command. He talks about how it was an interesting move on George's parts, but it allowed him to feel more comfortable and so on and so forth. Then this next little bit is part of those snippets that were released from the book, uh, which you guys saw in my earlier video uh, a few days ago. Uh, Kathy, JJ, and Michael Arndt met up in Northern California to meet with George uh, at his ranch to talk about episode seven. This is where George immediately got upset because he realized that they weren't using any of his ideas or plot points or scripts or anything like that. These were the ones that he submitted during the negotiations, and he uh, believed in good faith, you know, with a handshake kind of deal, which just means that it's not in signing, but hey, you know, hey, shake my hand, you know, Trust me, believe me, I'm going to, you know, use these in good faith. You know, I'm going to pay you actually for these 
stories and uh you know we'll you know we'll, we'll see so it dawned on him that they weren't going to be using any of his stories or anything like that the rest of the bit i explained in the previous video it dawned on him that you know they were going to use it he was disappointed that the story was being discarded and i don't know if it's entirely or if they're using little bits here and there but obviously he was pretty upset he goes on to say he could have handled it better and you guys you know you saw the the last bit where i explained it this is all pretty much the same from that he goes on to say, now in the first meeting for the future of Star Wars, George felt betrayed, and he felt kind of bad about it. Well, he felt bad about it, not kind of. He felt bad. But I say kind of because, well, how can you not see that coming? You buy the guy's stories, and you don't use them. I mean, in a deal like that, like, how do you not realize that, hey, like, this is kind of misleading, you know, I'm gonna buy your stories, we're gonna buy your entire company, which is this story, um, and we're going to buy your little stories for the sequel trilogy, which is what we would be interested in making. But now that it comes down to it, to sit down and, and, and let's just get to it and write this story, we're not going to use anything. That's a big slap in the face. And I can totally see how George felt betrayed. And it's, sure, it's legal, you know. It, it wasn't in the contract. That's why he put it in the contract. That's why I say he's a good businessman. But, um... I don't think it was a, I don't think it wasn't right. You know, he made him feel betrayed and it's just a slap in the face in my opinion. He goes on to say that there were other struggles. Upon George's feelings about the film in general, uh, there were other issues. Michael wrestled with the screenplay and uh, later they eventually let him go and they hired and hired Larry Kasdan, who co-wrote episode five and six. Now, get this, they originally planned to release episode seven in May of 2015, which is when George was releasing all of the prequels and all the Star Wars movies ever. It was always in May, it was always in the summer, early summer. But they, because of letting that guy go and, and, and hiring Larry Kasdan, it set them back. And he says, you know, one of the big things that I always wanted to make sure I didn't do was to um, adhere to a time schedule or a timetable and rush a production and not make a good movie just to, you know, stick to the, the time schedule that we had, the time slot that we needed. And he says one of the biggest, most important things is to discard that, not worry about that, and to focus on making the best possible movie and the best quality movie that you can. So he goes on to say that, that Disney took a bit of a dip in that fiscal year, but in the next year, of course, it would kind of catch up on its own because that's when they would release Star Wars. This moved Star Wars Episode Seven out of their fiscal year of 2015 and put it into their fiscal year of 2016. Now, this is the part where it gets very interesting. He says one of the most important things that he wanted to do was to release a Star Wars movie that resonated with Star Wars fans, even if it means taking a short-term hit to their bottom line. He goes on to say that the Star Wars fan base is so passionate and it was vital that they give us something that would really resonate with us, that we would really enjoy. He makes it very clear that if they failed with this Star Wars movie, if they didn't make it up to par to our expectations as Star Wars fans, then they would have to deal with the backlash very heavily. And it would be very hard to come back from that, which is what they're going through right now with Episode 8. Whether you liked it or you didn't, that's what's happening. He goes on to talk about trust and the fact that if they got this wrong, then the audience wouldn't trust them. And that would be extremely difficult to return from, which is very true. Prior to the global release, Kathleen Kennedy screened The Force Awakens for George Lucas. 
and apparently he didn't like it at all. He said it was nothing new. You guys know the rest. I explained this in that little snippet that we got. He said it was nothing new. It was just kind of like a rehash, and it didn't visit any new worlds necessarily. It was just kind of the same thing. Now, Bob goes to agree with him. He says that he wasn't wrong, but he wasn't appreciating the pressure that was put under them to make a Star Wars film. To this, I completely facepalm because you're literally telling the creator of the, like, it, I don't have to explain it. You guys realize how ridiculous that sounds. Like, if anyone understands the pressure of creating a Star Wars film, it's George Lucas. He also talks about how Disney knew that the press and fans were talking about how Star Wars was going to be Disney-fied, you know, putting, like, uh, mouse ears on you know, Vader and this and that. And, of course, while that's all funny, um, they were very cautious of it, and they made sure not to put Disney in any part of um, Star Wars uh, in, in the beginning of the film. They wanted to make sure that Lucasfilm fans knew that this is a Lucasfilm product. You know, kind of, at the end of the day, pretty much. Because it is a Lucasfilm product, but it's just seen through Disney's eyes. Now, even though George had issues with the film, Bob says that it was very important for George to be at the premiere. And get this, George actually declined. He didn't want to be at the premiere at all. But with the help of Kathleen Kennedy, he actually showed up. He went to the premiere and, um, you know, uh, he got a standing ovation for basically creating Star Wars from everyone that was there before the movie started. And uh, he felt very good about it, apparently. That's what Bob says. Now, another thing, which I hope you're still watching at this point in the video, because I'm sure it's very long. and But this is something that was written into the contract, and it was written here near the end of the chapter. So we're almost done. But this is very important. And if you're still here, throw a like on the video, or at least let me know you're here in the comments below. Bob Iger says that, in the contract, it was written that George can never talk negatively about Disney's version of Star Wars. He can never say his uh, true opinions on it if they aren't good. To which, of course, George responded to him and said that, don't worry, I'm not going to say anything. Why would I say anything? I have a huge stock in Disney. So obviously, if I say anything poor about the film, it's going to affect Disney's stock, which, of course, affects my pocket. But we all know that George... I don't know what billions of dollars feel like. I don't know what millions of dollars feel like. But obviously, it's not all about the money for George. And we know that. This is far beyond that for him. He was doing just fine before he sold it to Disney, I'm sure. So the movie opened, and it set a slew of box office records, and Disney's put a sigh of relief. It literally writes that. They put a sigh of relief that the first Star Wars movie was behind them, and it was a success. Which harkens back to that interview that I saw Mark Hamill give, where he said that, remember, kids, it doesn't matter if a movie is good. It just matters how it performs at the box office, which is very true because, you know, I didn't mind The Force Awakens. I thought it was pretty good. But the fact that George Lucas, the creator, didn't like it, and I can fully say that because he even says that. He says that himself. It's not like I'm just fabricating something. He didn't like it. If George doesn't like the movie, who cares how it performs? It's not all about the money. I mean, at the end of the day, money is tied to if your fans are responding to something. And right now, Star Wars has never had such a divergence ever. So clearly something is wrong. And they're doing something that hasn't been in the uh, reputation of what Star Wars is for the last 40-something years. So clearly there's an issue there. I think they're re trying to rebrand it in their own sort of way. Now, a few months before The Force Awakens released, uh, George had an interview with someone named Charlie Rose, I believe his name was. And that was where we got that interview he basically said that after that you know george uh, george's wife emailed him very apologetically and said that this is you know very difficult for george it's been a very hard process for him giving this up 
And of course, you know, George didn't feel good about it. He, I, I'm sure that he didn't want, he probably regretted selling Star Wars, I'm sure, to this day, you know. Um, George then reached out to Bob and he said, that I shouldn't have said that. I was trying to explain how hard it is to let things go, to let this thing go, which, sure, fair enough. But, you know, George, you said what you said, and um, we all know what you mean when he said it. So um, I'm on George's side, no matter what. And that's probably why I don't get um, love from Disney, is because I speak my mind, and because I'm a George Lucas fan. For me, George Lucas has always been the face of Star Wars, and he will always be the face of Star Wars for me. And I know for Disney, you know, they, they want to go forwards with Star Wars being their own thing now, but um, it just isn't going to be for me. So... Um, if that means I don't get certain special treatment like others, if that means that I don't get to participate in certain things, then, you know, that's uh, that's my loss, but it's also their loss too. And I feel that I can't be bought, you know? And this is something that I've wanted to talk about for a while. It's that I like to stand true to my convictions and to my beliefs, and I feel that I have a certain responsibility as having the biggest Star Wars channel on the face of the planet, and I take a lot of pride in that, I don't say that from a place of gloating, I have a lot of honor and pride in that, that I don't want to sell out, you know? I want to make sure that I tell you things how I think they are. Um, I don't want to be a puppet. I'm not saying anyone's a puppet. Don't take this the wrong way. I want to say things the way, you know, 10-year-old me would say them. I want to say things the way 16-year-old me would say them. I want to say things the way me would say them. So that's why a lot of the things that you see on this channel um, might be controversial because it's like, oh, how could he say that? So how They're me, man. Like it's no one else is pumping me full of this stuff. And that's something that won't ever change. So, you know, ha hasn't changed at almost 1.8 million subs and it won't change when I get to 10 million subs. So... Um, unless I get destroyed along the way somewhere, which, hey, knock on wood. Everyone knock on wood right now. That uh, doesn't happen, but um, I really love what I do, and I take a lot of pride in it, and I want to make sure that you know my voice is my opinion, and not to say that this is not about anyone else. I know people like to twist words and things like that. It's not about anyone else. It's not meaning that if anyone else has an opinion that their words are being twisted or they're a puppet or anything like that. It just means that I have my own opinion, and while it may not be favorable to the company that is uh, upholding Star Wars, I have my opinion on certain things, and I want my voice to be heard. So, for me, Star Wars will always be George Lucas, and um, that's, the way it's, that's the way it is for me. So, that is pretty much the end of this chapter of Star Wars and everything to do with Bob Iger pitching it to George Lucas, how the deal went through the negotiation process, and how it concluded afterwards and after The Force Awakens. So it is a dream of mine to one day interview George, and uh, while he can't, obviously he's contractually obligated to never reveal his true feelings and emotions about, um, uh, if they are negative, about the sequel trilogy, I would still like to be able to talk to him and, and just ask him questions that normal interviewers wouldn't ask, you know, things, you know, those scripted things that no one really gives a, you know, they don't really care. I want to ask him, you know, as a big Star Wars fan and, um, you know, someone, he has changed my life in so many different ways. I'm a, my best friend 
on a Star Wars forum on FX Sabres, uh, I believe it was, when I was 14 years old. Uh, we were the same age. We talked to this day uh, with the same interests. Like, we'd visit each other. He, he lived uh, a province away from me. He lived in Alberta. And uh, it was just cool, man. Like, just what are the odds, you know? Like, to this day, like a 15-year friendship, um, no, almost 16-year friendship now. And we're still best friends to this day. And, you know, we talk all the time. And um, he's actually got a Star Wars channel. <laughs> uh, him and his girlfriend run it. It's called Leia's Lair. And uh, you guys can check that out if you want, if you're still watching at this point in the video. But, yeah, it's just, you know, it, he's brought so much. And, of course, what I'm doing now, not even just the escape and everything that I had as a kid and the enjoyment of it um, and all the, the, the action figures and the toys and the games that I would play. But the sense of community that it's given me and the fact that it's given me a career that I can wake up every day and be overjoyed to... It's currently 4 a.m. while I'm making this video. You, you know, I, I'm more energized now doing this than any other thing that I've ever done. And I couldn't be happier. So uh, thank you, George Lucas. Um, you know, I support you in everything that you do. And I hope you are enjoying your life wherever you are today. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this video. Uh, you know, my thoughts on Disney buying Lucasfilm and everything that has now been revealed almost eight years later. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Throw a like on, on this for a, a like on this one if you enjoyed it. I can't talk anymore. It's been a long video. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone still watching. But um, Love you guys. Thanks for hanging out. And uh, see you in the next one. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you. Always.